0: You're listening to Snow Life, a National Post podcast featuring true tales of the Canadian winter. I'm Monica Orzecka. Whether we like it or not, Canada is known for its winters. Everyone has a story about a snowstorm or a skating rink or a winter escape. This is our first episode of the series, so exploring first winters seemed like a natural fit. The season can be a shock to newcomers. Winter is long. It's bleak, and sometimes it's even beautiful. We combed through archives to see how early immigrants to Canada experienced the cold. What we found were excerpts from the mid-1800s, before central heating, snowblowers, and instant hot chocolate. Catherine Partrail, Susanna Moody, Samuel Thompson, and John Langton all traded the cool, damp winters of Great Britain for the biting cold of Ontario. Here's how they felt about winter.
1: None but those who have suffered can imagine what it is to have to walk at speed through several feet of soft snow. The sinews of the knees very soon begin to be painfully affected and finally to feel as if they were being cut with a sharp knife.
2: I find my eyes much inconvenienced by the dazzling glitter of the snow on bright sunny days, so as to render my sight extremely dull and indistinct for hours after exposure to its power. I would strongly advise anyone coming out to this country to provide themselves with blue or green glasses. A thaw in the middle of winter is the most disagreeable change that can be imagined. After several weeks of clear, bright, bracing, frosty weather, you awake one morning surprised at the change in the temperature and upon looking out the window, behold the woods obscured by a murky haze, not so dense as an English November fog, but more black and lowering, and the heavens shrouded in a uniform covering of leaden colored clouds, deepening into a livid indigo at the edge of the horizon.
3: On the 14th, we were ready to start when, lo, there were icicles three feet long hanging from the houses, snow four inches deep. There never was such weather on record. Lucky it is for those who have no crops growing. I don't know what the thermometer was, but I think it must have been below 20. I'm afraid I must give up praising our climate.
1: Wolves often disturbed us with their hideous howlings. We had a beautiful liver and white English settler called Dash with her two pups. One night in winter, poor Dash, whom we kept within doors, was excited by the yelping of her pups outside. A wolf had been seen prowling near, so we got out our guns and whatever weapon was handy. She rushed out in eager haste, and in a few seconds we heard the wolf and dog fighting, with the most frightful discord of yells and howls that ever deafened the human ear.
3: Last winter, they say, was an extraordinarily cold one. Cold enough, certainly. Many mornings my cattle, having lain down during the night, were so stiff that we got them up with difficulty when the sun had been an hour or two up. In this helpless state, it is said many cattle were eaten alive by the pigs.
1: Next morning, we followed the track further and found at no great distance another similar spot where the wolf had devoured its victim so utterly that not a hair, bone, nor anything else was left, save the poor animal's heart, which had been flung away to a little distance in the snow.
2: The snow, no longer hard and glittering, has become soft and spongy, and the foot slips into a wet and insidiously yielding mass at every step. From the roof pours down a continuous stream of water, and the branches of the trees, collecting the moisture of the reeking atmosphere, shower it upon the earth from every dripping twig. You say you fear the rigors of the Canadian winter will kill me. I never enjoyed better health, nor so good as since it commenced. In spite of its length and extreme severity, I do like the Canadian
0: winter. There is a corner of the country that doesn't exactly get what many of us see as the quintessential Canadian winter with snow and cold in the forecast. Vancouver Island gets cooler in winter and very, very windy and damp. Gord Johns is the MP for courtenay Alberni. He says most people in Tofino, B.C. meet the season wearing what's called the Tofino tuxedo. Rain boots, rain pants, rain jacket, and neoprene gloves. It's very different from the biting cold and heavy snowfalls in Ottawa. So when Johns was first elected in 2015, he wasn't just moving across the country. He was also experiencing a very different kind of winter for the very first time.
4: I was really scared, actually, to come to Ottawa and experience really cold climate. So many people warned me about the cold winters. I've been fortunate to have gone out shopping with a friend who was from Ottawa, and uh, they helped me choose the right Sorel boots that are good when it's minus thirty, minus thirty five, and gloves that are made for when it's minus thirty-five and you know, the right leggings and the right layers, and I bought my first thing called a buff, which you you know, goes right over your face and can be very versatile. Because I'm from British Columbia and coastal BC, we don't have like an outdoor skating rink and we don't have, you know, these experiences that most Canadians get. So I really feel I'm like getting that Canadian experience of a winter and I'm just thoroughly enjoying it. When I got elected to be in the House of Commons and represent Courtney Alberni, I, I really understood that it was going to be long days and long hours, lots of time sitting in planes and cars, traveling. Uh, so I chose right from the outset to commit to riding my bike to work every day that I sat in the House of Commons. And two years later, I've, I've continued that streak, and uh, I've enjoyed it just thoroughly. I can't uh, say enough about what that experience has been like, and uh, really interesting, and I've learned a lot about winter. I was really proud that I rode my bike to work in, in what was the biggest snowstorm in Ottawa in 46 years. To step outside and, and see snow as high as it was, and to carry my bike over a snowdrift to get to the road, and, and no cars were driving almost that day, so uh, it was a really easy ride to work. I saw many people try to dig their driveways out just to get to their car. Uh, I was probably at work before most of them had even made it to their car with their snow shovels. So I, I felt pretty good about the decision I made to, to cycle to work every day. I haven't been cold once. I've really found it exciting that, you know, I've been through conditions where there's flooding and I could ride my bike through that and through slush and through rain and ice rain to uh, snow, you name it, to be in Ottawa and see the landscape blanketed in snow. It's just so refreshing, so clean and crisp and and, uh, beautiful. So it's been a, a great experience to be able to really feel the extremes of, Of Canadian climate in winter.
0: Sometimes an introduction to the Canadian winter can be much, much harsher. Last year, two men made headlines after being discovered with severe frostbite near Emerson, Manitoba on Christmas Eve. They had fled Ghana fearing death, ending up in the United States before crossing the border into Canada. The National Post's Joe O'Connor spoke by phone with both men, now in Winnipeg.
3: Sadu Mohammed Razak Yel's journey to Canada started in a Minneapolis bus station on December 23rd, 2016. Both men were originally from Ghana, and both were from the capital city of Accra. Even so, they'd never met before. Their initial meeting in Minneapolis was a matter of chance. Sadu explains how he came across Razak.
5: He's the only black guy like who is sitting there in the bus station. When I went to him and asked him where he's from, and he told me he's from Ghana, and I told him I'm from Ghana, so that's where like, we started speaking our local language. He told me he's going to Canada, and I also told him I'm also going to Canada, so it's like a coincidence. We made a journey together.
3: The bus station appears to have been a well known gathering spot for border crossers. As soon as they walked outside the station, they were approached by a taxi driver.
5: They asked us where are we going? And we say we are going to between Canada and United States border. And he said okay, you can take us there, but we have to pay him two hundred dollars each. Yeah, we pay him two hundred dollars each because of how desperate we are to leave the United States.
3: The driver dropped them off and told the men to stick to the left and to stay out of sight. The driver said it would take about a half an hour to walk to the border.
5: There wasn't a house where you was us. No houses, it's only trees and snow. So we have to be hiding in the snow so that we don't, like, risk ourselves and got caught. That's what he told us, and we did what he told us. And after that, then we got, like, uh, close to the border. That's where we started feeling the cold more.
3: The men were ill-prepared for a brutally cold December night. Razak explains what they were wearing for the journey.
6: For me, coming from New York, I was thinking like uh, it's normal for me to wear two sweaters and one jacket and a hoodie. And he said he came in from Ohio, and he had a sweater and a jacket. He was thinking like uh, it's normal for him to wear it up.
3: They crossed a seemingly endless field, wading slowly through waist-deep snow. And that's when things got even worse, Razak says.
6: We can't pull our feet into the snow, so we have, to put, we have to help. We take our hand and help our feet to pull our feet out. So that's where we lost all our gloves, and the winds just blow everything, the gloves and everything.
3: Both men had a hard time describing the cold. It was intense, punishing, a cold that bit deep into the bone, a cold unlike any cold they'd ever felt before. The expected half-hour walk to the border took closer to three hours. Finally, though, they reached Canada, the shoulder of Highway 75.
6: So we were standing there for almost seven hours. When I touched my body, I can't feel it move. I can't feel anything on my fingers. I can't feel anything. And he was saying that, me too, I can't feel anything.
3: Their ordeal wasn't over. They weren't sure how to find immigration. It was the middle of the night. Sadie's eyes were frozen. He couldn't see. They needed help.
5: We were stopping all the big trucks. No, None of them stopped. Raq said, we should give up. Then I also said, I told her that, yeah, we we, we have to give up. And I told her that that Anything that happened here, it happened for a reason. We know we have tried our best, trying to survive, trying to be safe, but this is how it's going to end.
3: Razak says it was a mistake to have left without checking the weather. He understands this. But the U.S. immigration authorities were calling him. They'd even searched his uncle's home. He'd been detained before. He was afraid. And the decision to cross the border was hastily made.
6: We all go to school, and we all can read and write, and we, we're using the, the, the smartphones. But we are desperate to leave the country because of the immigration system. And we don't want to go back to Ghana to go and lose our lives.
3: They waited for hours in the cold and the dark and the snow.
5: We about to give up, and we saw these big trucks. We waving, the truck driver. Stopped and came down and came and helped us and put us in his truck. He was asking us where are we from and we told him we are from the United States. We want the immigration.
3: The truck driver called an ambulance. Both men were hospitalized for much of the winter. Sadhu lost all his fingers to frostbite. Razak had nine fingers amputated. He only has the thumb on his right hand today describes what it was like getting the news that he would need to have his fingers removed.
6: On that day, very, very emotional for me. I cried from, I cried all day. I cried all day because I never imagined such a thing can happen for me in my life.
3: Despite the pain and the difficulty of losing so much, Razak still thinks of others. He feels for his friend Sadu. With one
6: time that I have helped me a lot, I'm happy for myself, but I'm thinking about him, too. I wish he's also had one time with him so that he can see how
5: it is.
3: Sadhu doesn't regret coming to Canada, despite the physical cost.
5: I see even when I came here in these difficulties, I see there is still a lot of good people here who are encouraging us, making sure that we are okay, we are independent and trying to help us.
3: Both men have been granted asylum in Canada though initially concerned about how they could even find work, given their amputations, they're hopeful. Razak who's was a successful businessman in Ghana, has been taking business courses in Winnipeg. The men who met as strangers in Minneapolis and risked everything to come to Canada are now good friends.
6: Every day we see each other. Even when this morning I was sleeping, he's the one who, he's the one who wake me up because he called me, asking me about something. He's like a family to me here. We are like a brothers now, living here in Canada. We stick to that until death.
3: This is their first true winter in their adopted home. Now it's the next phase of their journey, and there's no looking back.
0: That's it for our first episode. Snow Life is produced by me, Monica Orzeka. Soundwork, show theme, and logo by Bryce Hall with help from John Richardson, Eileen Donnelly, Larissa Harrapin, Mick Higgins, and Tristan Hopper. Join us next week when we talk about winter storms and all their fury. If you have any winter stories to share or thoughts about our first episode, reach out to us on Twitter and Facebook. Snow Life can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play.